Podcast. I'm James Constable. You're listening to the James Constable Podcast on Get Radio. Lovely stuff. And absolutely natural. Didn't even need to uh, provoke you with that one. And you know it's a big show because James has got a shirt on, everyone, ladies and gentlemen. It's, got, it's taken to the third episode, but we finally managed to get you in a shirt. I was letting everyone down, I think, the yeah, last are, couple of weeks. So It, it had been mentioned. Yeah. It had been mentioned. Yeah. Uh, look, here we are, episode three. A uh, big thank you to the part and parcel here in my hometown of Whitney. Big up for letting us uh, in here and causing maximum disruption uh, when I said that there was going to be minimum disruption. But anyway, also a big thank you to Get Radio as well for putting this all together. The last couple of episodes we've dealt with your time before Oxford United getting into Oxford United and we've dealt with the first few months of your Oxford United career which have been crazy it's been a mad mad time Chris Wilder's in we left the last episode on a bit of a down United have failed to get into the playoffs we're going into pre-season and summer just describe what the summer is like after that disappointment tough to start with we found it quite sort of flat obviously we've got an unbelievable run back end of the season missed out so that was tough to take I think probably a week or two after that you go away you have your holidays then you're desperate to get back in and that was a feeling that like, I met I think Chris had had conversations with a few players just to say look that's gone get over that huge summer ahead get yourself fit we've got a massive sort of season and as we speak about like, I think promotion was was mm. the word of that summer and that sort of pre-season was that mentioned almost straight away almost like it, in the dressing room after you know you've you've not made it through it's kind of like right okay we focus next season we are getting promoted that's that's the big thing go yeah. away this summer and think about that maybe a slight few more sort of swear words in that <laughs> yeah. but it, it, along those lines literally it, I, I remember we sort of came in and then i think we came back out but in that period of coming in that was this we're not going through this again like we're yeah. not having these we're not having playoffs promotion was the aim and that was all that was spoke about really so you've had your summer away I know you mentioned the last episode you sort of holidayed but you're, you know you're a footballer you're never away from football you've got it in the back of your mind it's always there are you personally chomping at the bit for the new season are, you know are you buoyed up by the fact that you missed out and now we've got to do it this season I think where, where we finished I think everybody if they had said you lost your summer that summer and you were straight back in a week later I think most people would have taken that because they were just desperate to get back and it felt like a long summer of being away from everyone and we yeah. like I say we're just all desperate to get back in and, and kick start again there were a lot of comings and goings through, through the summer as, as there is a, a you know a lot of football clubs in terms of transfers people coming in how aware of it are you and I, I sort of mean because you're away is it kind of like first day of school when you get back and you're just like oh there's like lo loads of new kids here are you, are you told by the way these players are coming in or is it just right you get back to training this is the new class as it were for the new year yeah again we touched on it social media was a, a sort of newish thing so it'd be like the oxford mail or normally my nan or grandma would send me like something that would say oh we signed this person or you'd, you'd hear it on the radio so it wasn't like say now you'd pick it all up on social media and see the videos now like mm. the blacked out person and it, the light switches on and it's that person so it's all a bit more of a, a thing now but back then players would sign we wouldn't have sort of too much sort of clue as, as to when they were coming but then we would obviously we'd find out it's not just a few new names like including yourself because you're now in permanent deal whatever mm. it's 14 people in yeah. mm. like, is there a sort of thing you come in and you go I don't recognise that name on that shirt in the dressing room. It's like, it's like, that's a whole team. Yeah, it's like Nottingham Forest this season. Yeah. It was like that. But I think, like you say, it was they were all names we knew of, like we we were aware of as players. And I think from that first initial meeting with some of those players, we knew these weren't guys that were coming in to make up the numbers. Like there was players that done well for us to, to a point, and then those players were moved on. And obviously these players that were coming in were giving us a better chance of, mm. of getting promoted. So we didn't see it as, like say, a, a loads of players. We, we knew that, that the quality was coming in to add something to the group 
group and give us the best chance to, to get that promotion. There are quite a few sort of older heads in there, like you say, more experienced at this level, kind of had that kind of experience of getting promotion. Were there a few names that you could pick out that you were kind of quite buoyed up and excited to play with in the team? Yeah, like say, obviously, Kreitz came in, Mark Crichton, and obviously I'd been with him at Kidderminster, and, and like I say, it was just players that I felt would take us to the next level and, and give us that little bit of an edge. Like I say, the previous season we had games where we were on top, dominating team, not picking up results, and it was just that players know that sometimes you just need a little bit, little bit of experience, yeah. a little bit of sort of know-how. Chris Hargreaves, um, obviously Jake coming in sort of midway through the season was a big signing. I think as a group we knew that this this was a, an opportunity to really go and have a similar season to the one just yeah. gone, but we, we obviously a full season under Chris and the new players coming in we, we knew it was going to be uh, a pretty exciting time as captain were you ever consulted about transfers in any way shape or form obviously that season i think 2009-10 season I, I don't think i started as captain muzz was obviously there as captain and he had quite a good relationship with with chris still and although they would obviously look into i think he, he had problems with his back and a few little niggles mm. which everyone does when you sort of get a bit older so i didn't think that he was going to be playing as much as he did previous seasons but I think he would have probably had quite a, an inside knowledge of players that were coming in mm. but obviously as the season started it was I, I tend to be sort of captain a bit more and it, it wasn't something that we agreed oh he's going to be captain you're going to be sort of vice captain it was something that just sort of happened really it just fell in that I think two or three games in Muzz was out for an injury I was then captain and just went from there you mentioned there about how you play with Kreitz before at Kitty. is there a bit there where someone comes in and goes are oh, you playing with him before or- What's he about? Whether that's Chris, whether that's somebody in the dressing room going, new name, don't know him, you do though. Yeah, you get that. And I remember saying at the time, you'll see, like he could head a ball near enough further than most people kick it. So I think it, it gave us that added extra, like say Luke Foster and we had Chris Wilmot and Barry Quinn sort of the first season. But this guy was six foot four, six foot five. I was on the receiving end of many of his tackles. <laughs> There's a reason he was called the beast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, didn't have to sell it to the players too much. And then obviously Jake coming in, another experienced player in that division, leagues above. So people knew what we were getting and also I think as time went on you, you realised Chris knew what he was doing and there was obviously he had a team behind him of people that put these players in but they, they these weren't just people being signed for the sake of it these were people coming in to make a difference and that they had took time to pick out and, and pick the best players that would give us the best chance The season didn't get off to the best start I'm back to bad negative stats again <laughs> <laughs> It's the first game you've had a bit of a sour taste in the mouth like Sam with the last game of the last season against Northwich York first game and they finish 17th you're 1-0 down until the 87th minute before mm. you turn it around 2-1 in the last few minutes. Nail-biting, to say the least. Yeah, it's always one of those, I think, like say, we've been up to Scotland for pre-season and we'd had a great time. We'd had games back at at home and then that confidence was building. Like say, pre-season is always hard. You never know. You you might thrash teams. You might like beat the sort of Oxford cities, the teams that you play, but you never really know till that first game. And like say, always the way, boiling hot first game in the season. Like say, not a lot of new players come in. So trying to sort of settle into the game. But again, it was one of those frustrating sort of afternoons. And then obviously two, two goals late on that strangely sort of won it and it it'd be against York obviously later on in the in the show we'll we'll talk about that but it it was like the pictures from that game are like this iconic picture of Mark Crichton scoring the the sort of winning goal and it's quite a way to announce yourself it is and then like I say it's not something he's renowned for like I say when I was a kid it'd be corners it'd be goals here and there but to to just be up in the box to score his foot like that sort of so late on was uh, unbelievable scenes really so yeah off the back of that you then go away to Kettering one all draw coming back from behind again yeah when I look back the other day it's uh, the goals that we scored 
scored. Like they were very much, we'd done a lot of work on set plays, like a lot of work on corners. It was something that we did and we were used to doing, but not to that level. Like everything was the detail to like set plays, like blocks, things you wouldn't get away with now was yeah. like, was a big part of what we did. Like we'd spend maybe an hour on a Friday running through every set play, every corner. But like this, the amount of goals we got from like the little cutbacks, like obviously that, that game, Kev Sam with six yards out free because the blocks had worked and everyone had been taken away from the ball. And, wow. I'm interested to know. So you get a corner. Mm-hmm. Is there a signal for a particular play? Give an example of one of your roles. Mine's not overly exciting. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> get sit, your head on a Yeah, I, I, I thought, but obviously we had, I say, Crichton, big players that probably arguably sort of better in the air. So it's just like, look, stay on the keeper. Don't foul him, whatever you do. Don't touch him. Don't grab hold of him. Just stand there. Block his view. Stop him coming out. And then I say normally it would be the other lads would come in and crash it. But I would almost inevitably hit the goalie, drop down two yards out, goal. And that was... It was a role that I quite enjoyed. I'd like to say every now and again you'd give away a foul because you'd be too physical or too much. Well, of a block. we know it's more than every now and then. <laughs> yeah, well, are, 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 are we going to be doing that now? Are we going to oh, we going to reveal this now or a bit that, later? Yeah. No, <laughs> I think we'll save that to the end. But that's definitely worth hanging around for the end of the podcast because yeah, uh, yeah one, one or two fouls. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just say that. So the, the start of the season, strange. Like you said, I think the, the, the word that we've used it a bit is strange. Results have been coming in. Maybe performances haven't been the best, but no. sometimes good sides get results when they maybe don't deserve them exactly and I think from the back end of the previous season we've got a bit like more of a grit determination that's scrapping out one nils two ones whatever we, we, we seem to have grown a different side to the squad that actually we're not all about pretty football yeah we can beat someone four five nil but actually we can scrap out a one nil we can I remember sort of one of Chris's things that it was always like if they want to play football we play football if they want to fight we're scrap like he's very much we would adapt to what the opposition were if they wanted to make it into a scrap we'd, we'd have a scrap we'd go toe to toe with them but like I say ideally that he wanted to play football that was his his thing that's obviously Sheffield United teams yeah. he's been at you can see how he wants to set up but sometimes it wasn't always a case you'd go to a way to graze or wherever you can't necessarily play football and it was a case that we would adapt to who we were playing to, to get the result are there teams that you go to and you go they can't play football they're going to be elbowing they're going to be doing all these cheeky things that will give them an advantage on the pitch are there those teams that you pick out on the fixture list and go that's going to be a battle yeah I say not to you compare us to Man City but you it, back then there was teams that would come to the Kassam and they would just be there to scrap out a nil-nil they knew obviously we liked playing at home we had through that season I think we were averaging five, six thousand at home games which was just phenomenal but teams would like to come and play against us so they would set up and make it difficult the forest greens like say greys you go to their place and they'd play slightly different but it would still be the same they'd, they'd want to come and frustrate and I say we we had lads that could sort of get frustrated don't know any, know any of those but we, we <laughs> the would title of the podcast is a bit of a giveaway I think yeah. one of them <laughs> we, we would sort of get frustrated with it so it was a sort of case of managing that and, and actually trying to a lot of the goals we scored were late on in, this, in, in those games so we knew we would always create chances we knew we'd score goals but it was a case of if we could just control that frustration that teams come in to just frustrate us that we'd, we'd always create chances you spoke last episode about the the red bull um which was which is absolutely mind-blowing go and, go and have a listen to the to the second episode if you have missed it because yeah the red bull before the game absolutely incre- incredible so statman ted has been actually delving into the facts about this which is and some of these things are quite surprising yeah. the smile on your face is like i'm interested to hear yeah, what this is going on so i've gone through all games for the season you said yourself that if you're down two cans of red bull first 10 minutes of a game you're feeling a bit wobbly so you scored 64 goals in the league that season 25 of them come in the last 15 minutes. You only scored five goals in the first 15 <laughs> minutes all season. You did score three of them. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you were maybe, right. maybe, maybe you, I missed you, the you, can that day. I only had one, but... <laughs> 
it, it, it did seem strange, but like I say, it was like we spoke about last time. It was one of those you just didn't want to be the one that didn't. And like say, not everyone liked Red Bull. Not everyone. <laughs> did anyone ever speak up and go? That's why are we doing this? No, but there, there were sort of the odd occasion someone had come out and that you'd see him sort of throwing up, literally like as they were getting ready to play. A, a lad I played with at Eastley used to every single game before kickoff, like we'd two minutes before kickoff, he'd, he'd be sick on the pitch and then it'd just start on the pitch. On the pitch, yeah. Lads would. Uh, Regularly be sick when we come in from the warm up prior to going back out. A lot of players just, I think, whether nerves or just sort of wow. from being stopped and then starting and stopping it, like say, would be sick and then off you go. You just go out. It's say it's one of those things that's strange. You just be sat having a team talk from Chris and you just hear someone <laughs> throwing up sort of next door. But don't see it, that on match the day. No, it, no, no. It's, it's one of those things I always found it was something I was like, but players that maybe have eaten too much pre match or hadn't eaten enough or whatever just used to, to make themselves sick. Yeah. We've gone through the sort of the first few games of the season. You know, I'd, I'd say Oxford United on par. Okay, it's it's not it's not bad. You yourself start getting on the score sheet. Is it game game three? Game number three. Which which by all accounts was a bit of a crazy game. Away at Histon, so one nil up, one all, two one up, four one up after bracing yourself, <laughs> yeah. and then conceding two in the last five minutes mm. to make it four three. Nothing is coming easy in this season. So no, far. and it, it never like I say never did the season before. This season was I, I almost carbon copy it was like we get ourselves in a great position 4-1 up it says 4-3 on, on the paper it says that in the, on the scoreboard but realistically we're 4-1 we are cruising and yeah. maybe just took our foot off the gas maybe just obviously I think after that game it, that, that took us top maybe it's a little bit of a reality check to say look actually yeah we are in a good position but it was just to make ourselves be aware that this isn't going to be a sort of an easy season. This was a, a team that was fancied to be sort of down there and they were pushing us all the way. So The results have, have come and the performances weren't quite there. But then the run was quite incredible. Banging goals in, getting the results, well, flying high. 11 games unbeaten, yeah. six successive clean sheets. You're top for the first time in two years. You've got nine goals in your first 11 games unbeaten. Is there something that Chris says? Is there a change in mentality when you come away from that Histon game where kick starts that amazing Yeah, run? I think obviously Chris probably had his say after and I, I remember Mickey having having his say as well that it wasn't it wasn't good enough and like say you'd always get into that routine sometimes where you come off you've won it's, you can just be like well we, we won at least we won but I think they were keen for us never ever to feel that sort of like well we've conceded three but we've still won the game It's it, they want to keep clean sheets that's what that's what they wanted. They knew we'd score goals. Um, I think the six clean sheets was a club record at the time. So again, another big deal. And in that, there was penalty saves at Wimbledon. And it was a big part for us to have Clarkey there. And we knew, obviously, Billy Turley and Ben Hinchcliffe, we had the season before, were great goalies. But this guy was a, a different class of goalie. Like we knew, even penalties, we knew there wasn't really that fear that they would score like you had thinking half a chance to save it so that made a big difference but I think that's what, what we lacked the first season was keeping clean sheets if we could have kept clean sheets we scored a hat full of goals so well you said there about Chris that he wouldn't let you just get into that mentality of oh we've won great and the end of that run the 11th game is a 4-0 win yeah. against Eastbourne and I've watched clips of the game and things and one of the commentators said that you you guys weren't on the pitch at the end he marched you back into the dressing room can you elaborate a little bit yeah. on that for us we were sort of halfway around clapping the fans when we just had one of those sort of like 
arm around the neck and it, that was it. He was, uh, I think we could tell straight away that he, he wasn't impressed. But I think it's, it's a strange one. Sometimes, again, it's uh, that was Chris's way of letting you know that he wasn't happy, he was frustrated. But sometimes I think from an outside looking yeah. in, it's a, it's a message to say, look, they might have won 4-0, but fans were aware that he wasn't happy. Yeah. I think every, commentators 50, 60 rows up in the stand knew that he was angry. And like I say, we were, we were let know in, in sort of no uncertain terms that after the game that, yeah, we might have won 4-0, but he wanted like six, eight, like he wanted goals. He wanted to obliterate teams really. And that was that was his mentality. And you see that now with the sort of peps and people like that. They might not mar- march onto the pitch, but they're sort of hungry for those results. And like I say, we knew sort of coming in it was one of those I wanted to stay out a little bit longer clapping just to give him five minutes just to settle down a bit but normally last be, one in the change room that yeah, day where literally yeah, yeah. we would be in and then normally it'd be we would hope that Mickey would sort of just grab him briefly before Mickey was the guy that probably be like the, the calmer downer like try to sort of be that middle man he was obviously the, the guy closest to the players but I don't think he had a chance to catch him that, that afternoon and uh, right. yeah we got ripped into but again at the, at the time we, we sort of come away thinking well maybe he's right maybe we were a little bit poor second half bit sloppy but ultimately we won 4-0 we're, we're sort of riding high at the top of the league I was, was going to say um, do, is there any time and opportunity that you, you just go I can't believe this is happening does it take time for you to kind of go oh yeah I know I, I see where he's coming from we, we need to you know we need to be better yeah I think you do get to but that's like years after because I, I still still thinking, I thought, I thought still the next game maybe right. no yeah like years still, after still thinking driving home like ears still ringing but like, we've won 4-0 we're top of the league we're like six points clear like, I didn't really understand but then I, I think again that comes down to sort of the Chris outside image of what like so he he's letting everyone know he's, he's unhappy he could have say got us in and done that privately but I, I think that's that's him that's his passion that's how he is but obviously the next game it's uh, sort of look back now and think maybe that wasn't probably the right thing to do because we hadn't lost up to that point we'd been on a great run and then like I say we, we don't turn up in the, in the midweek things turned sour and quickly for mm. the club a, a bizarre couple of months really due to results and weather everything played a part for that momentum to be sort of kicked out of you basically yeah. that's and there's and then the, I think at the time we just the frustration because there was nothing we could do we just couldn't like the games were being called off like obviously teams at the road that were chasing us were getting their games were getting called on because you said just before you were nine points clear and that gap just got smaller and smaller because the other teams were playing while you weren't and we just had to sit and watch it and and that that was the biggest frustration because we were still training we were still running these sessions like obviously a Saturday we can't play we're obviously running so as a player that's the last thing you want to do no one wants to be running on a Saturday or doing a fitness session at David Lloyd everyone wants to be on the pitch so for us it was it was frustrating that it just went like week after week we just didn't seem to be getting a game and like there's nothing we could do to sort of turn it round. but the whole time we're having to watch that sort of nice chunk of safety net up there just being eaten away psychologically every time you're running up the field and in David Lloyd and what have you and teams like Steven Idger taking three points off that Mm. are you going they're going to overtake us yeah because we we, I remember just thinking to ourselves like we're going to have to squeeze all these games in and it was already stacked with like you say you had the FA Trophy like all these competitions and then you're thinking, well, that's another game that's got called off. There's another game that's got to be fitted in. And, and the whole time we just kept thinking, well, like they're going to slip up. Like they're going to have a, a, a bad run. Like we've had our runs and I like, say we haven't played and stuff. So we're like, well, they're going to have some, at some point they're going to mm. have that run. And it just didn't seem to happen. Every, every game they were picking up points. Was the FA Cup run a distraction to that as well? Yeah, it was obviously just nice to have a game. I think it got to a point <laughs> where we, no matter what Oxford Senior Cup, it was just a game. Like we just needed to play. But I remember we 
we'd had sort of like games between ourselves and train and just try to keep that sort of level of fitness up because let's say you could train as much as you want like match fitness is completely different and I think we struggled to sort of keep that up as without playing but like I say the FA Cup's always special competition to play in and, and be part of but obviously having them sort of beat Yeovil and, and done what we did to, to lose to Barrow is like the team that ended yeah, up being becoming a bit of a bogey, a bogey team, team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's never like say never a nice sort of place to go but to lose to them it was like uh, it, it was frustrating after how well we had done in the previous rounds well it's that thing of usually when you have a bad result it's the we kick on again next week but you go three weeks without a game yeah and we were just hoping that something would change I think even at one point we were, we were seeing whether we could then swap so we were at home could we play away that weekend and then obviously the home game swap it back wasn't there even mad like things to try and thaw in inverted commas the pitch out and doing, doing all these bizarre things to try literally try and get yeah. a game on yeah I remember like they had a, a cover on bits of it because it was always a stand the side that had the the tall sort of stand that would always be frozen like the, where the dugouts are now that was always frozen so they would try to cover it there was drums with sort of hay set on fire like anything to just try and keep drums the with hay set on fire inside just try and keep the heat <laughs> in the pitch so it wasn't freezing there was guys with oh um, pressure washers like trying to somehow like squirt some squirt the ice yeah, out, of out of the, the ground, ground but right, ended okay. up causing it to freeze even more and it just wow. didn't nothing we could do or, or try to do could get this ground to four out and get the games on it's not the only weird thing you had that yeah. year the game that I sticks out for me Rich and I were looking at it yesterday away to Forest Green just before that and you score you go 1-0 up mm. it's all looking great power cut that level of football it, it's just it's, it's a nighttime game mm. in the video it just goes pitch it's black. pitch black yeah. it's but because I mean Forest Green it's, you know you're not in a massive town no you're in you're on you the know, top of a mountain. <laughs> you're in the so, middle of nowhere. Yeah. We'd started really well and like say I scored probably one of my better goals I, I scored that night and um, I think there was a, a, a couple of minutes earlier it was like a flickering and everyone just thought oh maybe it's weather or whatever. The it, Red it, Bull's it, kicking in, in or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to black out. But, yeah, and then all of a sudden yeah the lights went out and it was just I remember there was I think there was still some sort of lighting because I, we could see Adam Murray at the time was just like, like literally crawling along the pitch <laughs> on his hands and knees and we were just like it was lit enough whether phones or something like it was I just remember it being like light enough to see what was going on even though it was nine o'clock half nine at night but then the lights just I remember just some like bursting back on and there he is just on his hands and knees just walking, like crawling along the pitch not knowing like that they were going to come back on but luckily for us I say we managed to, to get the game completed and obviously get the three points which was which Clearly was massive struck fear into the hearts of the opposition <laughs> yeah. they said as well it went out it was a whole town and it wasn't just the ground and wow. it was literally the whole of Stroud I think had lost power just that good. night we're in this middle of this bad run. The results weren't particularly going your way. Uh, lots of games were cancelled. The, the the lead has been eaten up. And we get into the stage early January. Is it you, you're injured and you, you miss a few games as well? Is that affecting the team? No, I think one thing I will say that season was phenomenal for like the amount of goals that were shared, shared around. Like obviously Matt Green and like Simon Clist and Danny Ballman. Like it, there seemed to be mids. We were getting goals from everywhere. There wasn't just like the goals were going in for me, but I didn't feel as, as much pressure because I yeah. knew we had we were scoring from all over so niggles that maybe last the the season before I'd have played on and played through and, and stuff and then probably prolonged the injury I was like you know what like it's better to come out for a week two weeks and then back in rather than struggle on for sort of months and then be out for six months and, and we had a a decent sort of physio and, and stuff that would say to us like just come out like it's not worth ruining derailing the season for a, a, a niggly tight hamstring than playing the game and, and going to pull it completely so are there times when you're running out onto a, a field not necessarily for Oxford United not necessarily this season but where you go I'm 75% I'm 60% I'm yeah. even less 
I think people laugh because I've said before, you could probably count on a couple of hands how many games you feel 100% fit. You're ready to go, like you're itching, you've got all your energy, like it's very rare. Like most of the time you're carrying, you see the guys, they got this sort of rock tape on or they've got strappings or they're taking sort of tablets before the game. Some lads getting injections before games. Like I think people just assume that every time you're out there, you're 100%, you're, you're fit, you're ready to go. But it, it's very rare. Like I say, in a season like, like that season, maybe 10 games out of the 50 odd that, that you play, you'd feel like, yeah, no niggles, no injuries, no wow. like tightness, stiffness. It's Just, part of that mental though as well, that 100%. Yeah, I think well. so. You, you definitely have that sort of drain, especially after the season that's just gone and then this season and we picked up where we sort of left off in terms of winning, but things going wrong, conceding goals. I, th I think that does play a part, but say the, the amount of games that seem to be being played, we'd, we'd gone from not playing, then once it all starts up again and you've got like three games <laughs> a games, week, yeah. I think it just catches up with you. I think now that Premier League managers complaining about scheduling and stuff and I think these guys are flying around the world so we, we were on a bus camel ride up to Gateshead on for, for sort of six seven hours on a well, the Gateshead game we were looking at this 600 mile round yeah. trip and Oxford fans outnumber the home support that must that's nuts whether that's you're not crazy. feeling 100% that just must fill you with that just yeah I'm the energy I'm ready to go yeah and I think that makes a big difference to the players we, we are lucky as well we'd always travel on the, on the day before so we'd go up on the Friday we'd stop halfway up do a training session or sort of just get off the bus get your legs going then get back on the bus for like another three hours or four hours however long it took to, to get to where we were going so at least we try to give ourselves the best opportunity rather than just travelling on the day but we would never know prior to the game like how many were going to come like obviously Gateshead is one you think well you'd understand if they didn't turn up but <laughs> you get to the ground and they're already there before you and it's like and it would be the same faces you'd see that are driven up and stayed over the, as well and it, you couldn't help but be sort of driven on by that so it, it, they, they made a, a huge difference that season but they were the 12th man they they did get us through games when it was tough going when you came back from your injury you've come off the bench one nil down i think one nil down crawley and i'm going to deliver the bad news this time miss a penalty not for the first time this season i've already had a bad touch to set up chappy by this point. i've tried to bring it down i think it's hit my shin and rolled to him and he smashed it in but yeah another i, I did win the penalty but this time yeah i missed it again which three misses that season yeah that, that, there it is <laughs> luton was hard because i like I say i missed that and managed to sort of make up for that and that was a, that was a sweet feeling but then obviously to miss again it was like I'd only been on 25 30 minutes so not really that long into it but sounds like making excuses yeah, doesn't it I've only slight, been on 25 30 minutes I thought you could say I've been on two minutes no no it took me a while to it get wasn't going. wasn't 100%. Like, no, yeah, no, that's fine. 100%. Um, I think I had a strap and it was too tight and that's why. But yeah, then fortunately, like a great, great delivery. I think into injury time, 91st minute, maybe 92nd Another minute. last minute goal. Last minute. And, and and to be fair, after the penalty, we were banging on the door. We were we were desperate to, to get that goal and like say, Chappie couldn't ask for a better delivery. Just put it on my head. I didn't have to do too much. We we kind of get back to, to the season, which is, dare I say, derailed. Well, this is probably January time. So, well, no, the, the real madness, I feel like to set it up all the better. <laughs> Certain stage of the season, you're nine points clear of Stevenage. And when you get to the end of December, Chris's first year is in charge of 46 games. You win 33. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. But you then you go into the new year, Chris sets it's going to take something special to stop us. Mm. And just from there, it's one win in eight. And you go from being nine points clear of Stevenage to six points behind them. Mm. What happens in that dressing room? <laughs> 
again, we struggled to sort of put a finger on a team with the same 11. Like, we hadn't changed any set plays. Like, But March especially, I think, was probably the worst month I've had in football in terms of results and the way it was going. We just couldn't. We were in on Sundays. We were trying to look at different things instead of training. Let's go and do, like, paintball. Let's just try to break up something or try to do something different that might sort of somehow turn this around. But we just could not seem to sort of get out of this little rut we were in. And like I say, I think we, we a few sort of faces Chris Hargreaves. There was a few, few sort of players that come in in the middle of that spell that they thought might sort mm. of maybe that experience that might be able to get into the lads and sort of somehow try and get us out of that slump but it just seemed to go on and on and that month seemed to feel like almost like a mini season in itself I think sort of within ourselves we were probably looking at the playoffs and thinking look let's just make sure we make the playoffs because there was a, a chance we could have sort of slipped out of that altogether if it had carried on sort of too much longer is it hard to get yourself motivated for the playoffs as opposed to motivated for, yeah, we're nine points clear. It looks like we're, we're going to be winning the league. Yeah, I think when you're up there, it is tough. Like I say, it's, it's a lovely position to be in. You're top of the league. You're, let's say, nine points clear, but you know everybody's gunning for you. Like Eastbourne away or Histon or Ebbsfleet, wherever we were going, everybody wanted to beat us. And, and that was that's not just because we were top of the league. That's because it was Oxford. It was always a big game but it's never an easy place to be when you're top everybody's looking at you everyone's like say wanting to beat you actually dropping down it was like right now they're after Stevenage it was a little bit of pressure off although internally pressure was still on all of us but I think for us to just be out of that limelight everybody had written us off they've blown it they're, they might not finish in the playoffs actually for us that was quite nice it was a relief to say look going into games that if we won great like it was sort of gave us a little bit of a breather that we had had I think 26 27 games where we were top like we were number one in the league actually a few games where we're not there and the pressure's off slightly March finished and it it sort of turned around a little bit so the run gets you into the playoffs Mm -hmm. how are you feeling I think obviously going into that it wasn't great we lost the last game of the season I think they dropped a few of us which we didn't really want I know they're trying to get you ready but then I think the semis were five days after the season finished so as soon as the game was finished it was it was like a five-day prep like a normal week basically before a league game so we tried to not change too much I think we were aware of what we had to do like nowadays like some of these sort of semi-finals are one-off games and stuff which is horrendous I think sometimes it's nice that we knew we had two two legs Obviously, where we had finished meant we were away first, which was nice. So, again, we were already not right in the game off, but we knew we it's were going to be home. We knew it? we yeah. were going to be home second leg. So, we never set up for a draw, but I think we thought, look, if we come away with a draw here, we're going to win at home. So, I mean, it should have been a 1 0 win. Yeah. It really, really should have. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's so, it's such a cliff foul in the I middle know. of the park. Well, I, I, yeah. I played with him for England C, and I said, like, how the hell did you get away with, with that? Because, like, say, the referee from the, the clip him. is just it there just and he just him. pulls him to the ground. But then yeah. I say it's funny when you watch it back, he chases after him. And after another, and just sort of shoved <laughs> someone else, just because so frustrated that they hadn't give a foul. But we just stopped. We just sort of switched off. So it was something that we spoke about and said, "Look, that's we, we just can't do that. It's too big a game, too big an occasion. We just got to play to the whistle and, and sort of get on with it." But it's a great finish after that, and we we came off definitely a, a frustration that we hadn't won the game. But I don't know. Strangely, probably gave us a little bit more. Of yeah. A, of a, I, we felt we should have won the game, so we good. came out at, at our place, sort of ready to go and ready to go to war a little bit. You should have won, yeah. but you're going into a one-off game now. It's one all. Just describe the the atmosphere because this is one of the biggest attendances yeah, that Oxford United have ever seen. It's the second highest attendance ever at the Kassam. It's yeah. not been topped since then. Must have just been magical. 
it was I remember just like say going and the sort of level of determination we had like that again coming back from the game and seeing obviously the fans and I think we come together even more strangely because it felt like we had, we had been robbed a little bit but that training leading up to that game was just like I say everyone was just so switched on and I think we didn't probably take it in enough the build up to that and obviously getting to the ground and obviously after the game you could you could enjoy it but I think prior and while the game was going on we didn't really probably appreciate the size of say the crowd now they're in League One and say that they haven't managed to top that crowd is just it's, it's hard to sort of believe really that even back then the amount of passion the fans had and astounding really when you look back on it and see the scenes at the end of the game yeah no absolutely crazy at this point we should just mention that you know you've scored home and away uh, to quote Chris but you know it's bang at it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like I say, I've, I've had managers at like at, at Kidderminster and other clubs where if I was doing well, they wouldn't speak about me because it's like they don't want other teams to say like, oh, let's have a look at that guy. Let's so, yeah. so they wouldn't sort of talk about you. But I remember sort of coming home and I'd see it on and, and I'd read up in the write-ups and he just couldn't speak highly enough. And I say, I think that's a, a lot of the time why games when we were struggling, where we weren't quite getting over the line, you just find something a little bit extra. He was one of those sort of managers that would somehow give you that little bit extra. And like I say, for me, it was a great time to be sort of in that club. But also have someone that no matter how I played if I'd sort of missed a chance I know he wouldn't it, yeah he'd be shouting and screaming from the sideline and giving me the eyes I knew <laughs> I was, was going to be in trouble after but I don't know I still had that sort of like I knew actually he knew I'd get another chance he, he, he believed I would score if I, if I was in that situation again so it was a good time yeah and, and speaking of a good time made it through to the playoff final we come full circle we see York City here again I mean I was there up in the gods there were that many fans there take us through your I think we obviously we were surprised it was York I think yeah. at the time we, we believed it was going to be Luton and the way they had played that season we, we we believed that they were going to be the team that were there and we were already thinking of sort of sell out Wembley's because they would take a yeah, lot of fans yeah. so when we obviously knew it was York I think I believed we'd win the game we'd beat them the first game of the season mm. they thought they'd won it we snatched it away and obviously just the team when we had played them through the season and where they had finished I, I just always had the feeling we were going to win the game whether that was going to be 1-0 whatever we, we, we would do enough on the day to get the win so obviously the day of the game we, we went up a couple of days before managed to crash the, the team coach uh, the day yeah. before just in, what you need in Wembley it? yeah, which yeah. We, we'd been dropped off our boots shin pads sort of took it in really just so we didn't have so much of a surprise the next day full of fans and uh, ready for the game so we, we, we pulled in stupidly tight why they've made it so tight I don't know uh, but we've pulled in parked up done what we had to do obviously coming out we've come around I remember the lads just screaming like saying like we're going to hit we're it, gonna we're gonna hit it. Close, yeah. we've hit this hopefully it wasn't a gas pipe but it looked like a gas pipe at the time clipped it smashed the outside of the window like we didn't hang around we literally just Pete the bus driver at the time I think passed away recently but he sort of backed up and we sort of snaked out and we just got out of there as quick as we could and got a bit sort of further out of Wembley and I remember Mickey sort of getting <laughs> off the bus with a broom and just <laughs> knocking these little bits of glass that, that were dropping all over the road just perfect to get them preparation but perfect. actually everybody was that that sort of fear that that yeah. sort of what we were feeling about the game it was we were all having a laugh on the bus and it, it probably just relaxed us a little bit more like i say we i don't think we ever sort of went into the game uptight or nervous but that was a, a, a great sort of moment to just relax and, and sort of look forward to the game then nothing more could sort of go wrong we crash the bus we've probably damaged wembley and, and then we're, <laughs> we're back there tomorrow for the game <laughs> so um you've been at wembley before and I found it quite poignant that you, you know, you were there with Kidderminster. Half time, you're sat in the dressing room. You're spending your goal bonus. You're spending your win bonus, and you lose the game ultimately after being in a very strong position. Yeah. Is that playing on your mind at all? 
Yeah, I think like, for me, there was definitely an added extra of like, I can climb those stairs again and be wiping away the tears like Gaza and, and, and sort of crying on the pitch. I couldn't, I couldn't be in that situation again. And I know sort of speaking with Kreitz and that, I think we roomed together down in Wembley and we spoke quite a few times about that, that sort of feeling and how we had been through that experience. That actually probably gave us a little bit of something added that we could sort of speak about, especially before the game in the, in the huddles. We would say, look, like, we've been here. Like, it's a horrible, horrible place to lose, lose a game of football. So we could sort of pass on that message but I think the lads were so sort of clued in on, on what we needed to do but for us definitely having that little bit of added heartache from from walking up the stairs and, and picking up a loser's medal definitely gave us a, an added incentive Are there butterflies in your stomach at any point? Are you there looking up at the crowds and going Ooh, it's quite a lot of people yeah. there, isn't there? It wasn't until we pulled into the ground. Like I remember just being on the coach and we had a thing where we were allowed music so far and then it'd have to, music would have to come off, headphones would have to come off. Like there wasn't, you could listen to it like pre-match and bits and bits, but then as soon as it was like bus to the ground, I remember like the cards were put away. There's no cards, no like people watching Netflix. It was like, right, now you're focusing on the game. And I think this one in particular, we had the pack of paperwork we'd have for normal games, but it was like on our seat on the bus and we were being told to sort of read it and sort of take it in. And I think looking back, it wasn't so, like you might have flicked through it, but we were just so... <laughs> You're not reading we, the words we on really it. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was messages on there, like bits that had happened in the season where like maybe teams had written us off or like little comments about, oh, they've blown it. And here we were sort of wow. pulling into Wembley and actually we still had a, ultimately sort of a, a huge chance to get promotion. And like say, it's a, a 50-50 as, as to whether we were going to be playing League Two next season. But I remember sort of opening my kit bag and there was notes from mum and dad and oh, wow. um, obviously just saying look, that they're whatever happens they're proud that they've, they've enjoyed the season like reminded me of what I wanted to do when I was a kid all these things that like it was great but actually I was thinking like it's like in, in, on my mind then just the letters and like, say how much they had been through getting me to that point that journey to get me to, to playing at Wembley and I got calls FaceTimes from, from them travelling up and wow. the bus loads of people there was buses from Chippenham fans that followed me from obviously leaving Chippenham in sort of 2005 that, that had followed my career they wanted to come and it was just phenomenal the amount of people like say pulling in was the moment I think everybody had a little bit of a lump in the throat moment it feels like a lovely way for the <clears throat> fans more than anything to cap off that season they've had the heartbreak of yeah. last year with that Northwich game to the start of the year we mentioned it really briefly the 12th man fund mm -hmm. to sign Jamie Cook on deadline day all culminating in that final day at Wembley outnumbering York fans yeah. three to one yeah I think as a fan, as a player, the playoffs are the way to go. If you can guarantee you're going to win on that day. That's, so, that's it, so interesting. If, if you yeah. can, no one wants to go up automatically. Yeah, it's great. You get your trophy, you get your bus wow. ride and all the rest, but you don't get to play at Wembley. You don't well, get well, to... We said this before. We uh, literally said, I wonder, yeah. If you can guarantee you're going to win, then you get playoffs are the way. Well, but obviously, as a player, like you you just want promotion, but if all else fails, so you're not going up automatically. Playoffs, well, it's the difference I wouldn't of have swapped it. Winning away at Gateshead yeah. to get promotion versus in that magical magical yeah, place like. exactly and then like say something you'll never forget and I'm, I'm sure they enjoyed their promotion and, and yeah they got to celebrate but ultimately we were going to be in the same league but we've been through that and we've We've took over 30,000 to, to Wembley and, and, like I say, lived just an unbelievable experience that we wouldn't have got if we had gone up automatically. Gets to the game itself. I guess the first 44 minutes of the game were perfect. Taking an early lead, go two up. Your third goal at Wembley in two games, might yeah. we add. Maybe even just thinking a little bit about climbing those stairs and, and, and kind of lifting that trophy. The safe pair of hands of Ryan Clark does something inexplicable. York are back in the game at 2-1. Yeah. What do you doing especially so close to half time is is chris singling him out yeah it was good it was definitely going to plan like say two nil up and i think mids 
Jack Midson had hit the post with a header, which looking back, if that had gone in, I think it, it would have been floodgates. So I think that would have been them done and, and we would have gone on uncomfortable. But it's a strange one. He was so, so good that yeah. season. Like some of the saves and I think he got voted player of the season from the fans that season. And just unbelievable keeper. Like I, I just, even now it's, it didn't help. They absolutely chucked it down for 20, yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah, it was which, real bad. Which added yeah. a little yeah. bit of, of zip. But I think when he when he's fumbled, he's tried to sort of correct it. And then Jake and it all got sort of congested and it ended up obviously going in. But I just remember looking and I think Jake's trying to say something to him. And it's just like... Glazed over. I yeah. think probably fear of what's happened and just a shock of, of literally we, we were coasting fully going in at half time. Just that was it. We'd sort of halfway there. So then actually thinking, right, this could be a sticky second half. But I remember Serene, like there was no panic. Like I remember Clarky trying to sort of apologise. Lads were just buttoning in before he'd even got to us. They were like, don't even say it. Like, you don't have yeah, to yeah. apologise. We wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for you. Like, you've kept us in games. You've saved penalties and got us points. In terms of, like, negativity, there was, there was none. Obviously, on the pitch, I remember sort of after the game, Dad saying, like, everyone was sort of, like, nervous. There was no fingernails left. But actually, if they could sort of have what they used to have as Satanta, you could see in the change room. Like, lads were sat around as if we were sort of four or five nil up. Like, there was no panic. Which, again, I think comes down to that prior 12, 13 days between the second Rushton game and, and Wembley. It was nearly two weeks. So, in those two weeks, we tried to plan for every event down to 10 men giving away a penalty like anything that could happen I think obviously we didn't expect the goal to come like that but pretty much everything else we were ready for every eventuality that could happen so being 2-1 up mm. we would have took that over being 2-1 down so there was no sort of panic on our on our side and then the second half comes and uh, you get the third goal yeah. and it's just bedlam yeah, I remember just I mean I was I was sat at Wembley and I, I really was in the gods I was a very last minute ticket I think I bought it you know really last minute and even that atmosphere then when that third goal mm. goes in because you knew that was it then. Well, I just I just remember the second half just being absolute, like, nervous wreck. I remember, like, they had chance after chance. We said, if, looking back, like, a few, few months ago, I think it was the anniversary, but if, if actually they had had a better forward that day, <laughs> like, it could have been very different. You know? And they missed really good chances. Yeah. But obviously, when, when Reese headed it out, it was a poor corner. When, when I look back, like, the 90th minute, like, <laughs> and they tried to float a corner to the edge of the 18-yard box. Yeah, so, yeah. obviously, we had Reese and, and that did come and just crashed it. But I remember Alfie and, and Sammy racing away. I look back now and where I found the energy I, I see the referee and I've just burnt past him I'm thinking yeah. look if he misses or it's saved or so, uh, uh, there's a tap in here for me but in the 90th minute at Wembley with, with everything that had gone on I, how I've not pulled up or got cramped but the two sort of the two little guys were, were playing sort of keep ball with, with themselves and obviously dropped to Alfie and always confident he was going to score but as you're getting closer the goal seems to be getting smaller and smaller yeah. and I'm thinking just <laughs> the legs are getting heavier target, and heavier yeah, yeah. and then yeah that noise like say I don't think you'll ever sort of forget that noise when that ball hit the back of the net and everybody went that way I just went that way and just I think I was on my knees and Billy and some of the guys that were on the bench sort of come on the pitch and it was just a countdown really for that last sort of two or three minutes for the whistle we were just desperate for that whistle to go and we knew we could start celebrating what's that moment like when that final whistle goes to going up the stairs well, I, I want to ask about collecting the trophy, but that moment in between, because you'd won the game, you'd get promoted back to league football for the first time in five five years, I think it was. Four years. Four years, sorry. And uh, do you know what to do with yourself? So I'm still angry because I missed all the celebrations. I literally, we came in and we were like whisked off to press and me and Chris and we were sat and it was like walking into like a mini theatre we were sat there and there was just seats of people wanting to ask questions like all the different medias and we seemed to be in there for eternity and then I, I came back in the chamber and everyone was starting to shower and I was like well literally missed everything there was pictures and there was like all the champagne and everyone sort of celebrating and we just literally missed 
the whole lot, we'd been sat answering questions, the same questions. Oh, back in the football league, like, all the time, I'm thinking, like yeah, I need to, oh, to get back in and enjoy with everybody. So probably the worst part of the day was was doing the press after and just missing because now I look back and I see all the pictures and everyone sort of like the team photos and people led on the floor and champagne and, and we literally just missed the whole lot. So it was a shame, but then like I say, we we managed to get ourselves sorted and, and get ourselves prepared then obviously to, to go and celebrate that night you know going up the famous Wembley steps as captain as well yeah. are your legs jelly uh, you know you're, you're lifting a trophy at Wembley I mean you've already scored a, you've scored a ton of goals at Wembley yeah. let's be really honest now you're going up those famous Wembley stairs what a feeling well again I, I just remember at the time trying to find Muzz because obviously he was captain at the start of the season it was something I almost like I met I think I'm, I might have I'm, I'm sure I spoke to him the night before and said like if we win you're coming with me like you were the captain like you were you were here at the club before me like you've seen the journey they've been on but I, I didn't want to be the person that just goes up there and collects that trophy mm. it was a big part of, of obviously Oxford's history and like obviously he played a lot that season and it was something I was desperate for him to be a part of it with us like I know he wasn't in the in the 11 or, or on the bench or whatever but I think everyone respected him as a, as a player like he did a lot for us from from his injury at Christmas up to that point so obviously climbing the stairs and like say just they hold you in a little area for it seemed like hours <laughs> um but yeah, we were all ready. We had our, like say, our, our shirts and like everything prepped, ready to go. And just, I remember just going up like, as, as we got to, I was last to come up. So I remember seeing all the players go up and every every time they'd see a face, there was a cheer. And it was only till we got up and you could see obviously everybody there. We didn't know who was obviously going to be giving us a trophy, but so Jeff Hurst is there sort of stood ready to- yeah, It's not bad, is it? To <laughs> hand you a trophy, which again, being in the sort of home of, of English football and, and to sort of see someone that's iconic with that. And, and obviously to be handed the trophy was strangely sort of just relief just to say like actually we've, we've done it like obviously last season was tough to take this season's been a, a roller coaster from obviously York the first game of the season on a, on a low and then a high mm. and then and the season was like that it was no different so to go and, and like say I remember just being sort of handed the trophy and it was just like take a deep breath like that weight that sort of what we had had obviously we were we were happy but it was just really a sort of sigh of relief that we've done it like the pressures it's gone you can look forward to sort of obviously next season but but ultimately just that, that next few weeks. I, I want to go back to your the time at Kitty again, because that had a little bit of an impact on uh, the celebrations afterwards. Yeah. We had sort of spoke about obviously the the, the Wembley with Kitty and, and missing out and having to come back and do open top buses like in the rain and all, all that side of it. I remember there was sort of half whispers about the night after the game and uh, for Oxford and if we won, we would go out. And I think every, it was never planned. I think everyone was in the same sort of mindset that like we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So nothing was sort of said too much. We obviously had a group chat. There was no mention on, on that of, of any sort of goings on. So um, obviously we've come out and we've we've gone across the road. There's a pub and we've we've hired it and we've got uh, everybody in there and we're watching back. The game's like literally on loop and like the fans are almost like reliving it, the family and friends of the players. And then, yeah, we're just sort of getting this feeling that everybody's sort of one by one going to the toilet, getting changed in jeans, shirts. I remember saying to Kreitz at the time, like we hadn't brought gear because we thought, look, we don't want to tempt it. We'd been there before. We thought we'd won the last time. So we weren't going to bring anything just in case. Like last thing you want is the gaffer finding your sort of your best shirt yeah. and, <laughs> and, and trainers and shoes ready to go out if, if you just lost the game. So I say we, we didn't bring gear with us. We just thought, look, no matter what happens, we're going to sort of stay together and everything. And, and like as it is, like everybody else has got gear. They're all ready. They're all dressed. And we, we spend sort of a couple of hours in the pub and then, yeah, they all they all go sort of jump into taxis and off into London and me and Kreitz were, were back on the team coach with with the coaching staff some of the directors um, obviously the trophy came back with us but like I say looking back I wouldn't have changed it for the world we were, we were back 
got dropped off in Woodstock and we were in the pub till sort of two, three in the morning. It's, it was just unbelievable experience. And like I say, it could have gone into London, which would have been great. But actually, we had a, a night, like I say, we'd never forget. So um, a last little thing that I think we need to mention about a game that was played this season. We don't know if you know this. This is a surprise to, this well, is new to me. You're Oxford United's second top scorer. Mm-hmm. You're behind by one goal. And the fourth game of that season, which we didn't touch on, was against Chester. Mm-hmm. You scored your first ever hat-trick for Oxford United. Yeah. That game has been expunged from all history. Yeah. It doesn't count towards it. If that game had counted, you'd be on 699 games and you'd be <laughs> Oxford's top scorer. Yeah. Did you realise that? At the time, it was like we knew, even I think after the game, that there was like the Jerome on BBC Oxford yeah. said like they've scored and it was like obviously we won the game it was a hat trick but there was still this cloud sort of over Chester but I don't think we really realised like we just thought oh well even if they did go bust it doesn't affect like goals or like it didn't it, we just didn't assume that that would would be the case so they went under sort of later on in that season but it was only then sort of like the end of that set they take the goals off it was only as I got closer and closer to the record that I realised that actually like I, I remember the last season, 2014, I was obviously desperate to stay. I kept saying it in the press. I, I was doing as much as I could. If I, if I was an agent, I yeah. couldn't have done any more. Yeah, yeah. Be an um, agent for yourself. I, I, oh, and yeah. saying, like, I'd love to stay. I'd sign as long as they wanted everything. And I was, I just got that feeling that that wasn't probably going to be the case. But again, to miss out and, and to be sort of one-off is, is tough to take. Do, to, do you still have the match ball, though? I do have the match oh. ball, yeah. I do have the match ball. And it's uh, it's got pride of place in, in my study. But um, yeah, you look back on it and... and say obviously Greeny scored as well that day and he lost his goal and I think I got booked that day and that led to then a suspension later on so there was things from that game that, that stuck and, and like I say I couldn't play in certain games but then the goals that I did score what? at the time were, were legitimate goals like I say I always on paper I might not be but it, sort of internally I know that was a that was a genuine game I scored a hat-trick and and they counted for that 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 game so it's frustrating it's not in the record books but like I say I, f- I feel personally I scored 109 and and that's what, what sort of is the hardest thing to take. Well, you've been listening to the James Constable podcast. Thank you so much for the part and parcel here in Whitney for housing us. A uh, big thank you to James, as always, for uh, bearing his soul and his career uh, on the line for us. Big thank you to Statman Ted uh, for picking us up on all the right information. Do please check it all. And make sure he is doing his yeah, job properly. Check, yeah, big check. time. Um, my name has been Rich Smith. And uh, big thank you to Get Radio as well for putting this all together. We'll be back on the fourth episode of the James Constable podcast where we'll be talking about a particular big incident involving a club that are not exactly popular with Oxford United. That is all still to come on the James Constable podcast. You've been listening to the James Constable podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and share. We're going to have a new episode dropping every Tuesday. And for the full length uncut version, head over to YouTube. Just simply search for James Constable podcast. This has been powered by Get Radio, Oxfordshire's local radio station. Head to getradio.co.uk for more updates and details.